Hello, and welcome to episode 2.8, the holiday edition of Notes from the Isle Seat, the podcast that covers the arts in northern Chautauqua County, sponsored by the 1891 Fredonia Opera House. My name is Tom Lachlan, and I'm your host as we bring you news and information about arts events at the Opera House and around the region, including interviews with artists and creators across the county. This time of year used to be quite busy. The combination of getting the fall semester completed while preparing for Christmas with the family was very hectic. On top of that was the effort I had to put in to resist and tune out all the commercialism and pressure to buy, buy, buy. Retirement and an empty nest has brought a different sense of the holiday season for me, though. I find it much easier now to tune out the commercialism and easier to tune in to the sense of sheltering peacefully against the winter weather and the darkness. No rushing or running about, no ugly sweaters, no parties, no secret Santas. Just the warmth of the house, a little eggnog or perhaps some Baileys, the feast of the seven fishes on Christmas Eve, and a small artificial tree are all we need. Cozy and pleasant. But for those of you who enjoy a little holiday entertainment, there's plenty to be had in the area. The Christmas Pops concert at the Rockefeller Arts Center is bringing in Seasons Greetings, the hits of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. It's a concert by the Four C-Notes, featuring popular Christmas hits alongside chart toppers sung by the Four Seasons and other 50s doo-wop groups. I had a chance to talk with John Michael Coppola who has performed as Frankie Valley in the musical Jersey Boys on Broadway and on tour, and who has created this specialty concert from his experience. Be prepared. John Michael is an energetic dynamo, as you'll hear in this interview. Well, it's really nice, actually, to have on the podcast uh, John Michael Coppola. John is a member of the Four Seas and uh, has done Jersey Boys and uh, Frankie Valley for uh, uh, quite um, quite a number of years now. So uh, welcome to the podcast, John Michael. Glad to have you. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Yeah. John Michael, it's great to have you. You seem to be uh, someone with a lot of energy, so I know it's going to be an old guy like me. He's going to have a little trouble catching up with you. But let's um, let's talk right away. Let's just get dive right into it. Uh, the Four Seas, uh, Frankie Valley, uh, yeah. Jer- Jersey Boys. How, how did you start to get involved with this with the Jersey Boy Frankie Valley story? Sure. So uh, first of all, I wanted, the name of the group is the Four C Notes, which is sort of alliterative of the Four Seasons. Okay. Um, there was no, there was, that was uh, thought of quite intentionally. Um, but I auditioned for uh, Jersey Boys because someone who I knew back when I was doing theater, like I grew up in Westchester County in New York and I did a lot of community theater and I was actually working at a dinner theater there in the box office. I had done lots of other jobs in, in this theater. And somebody said, hey, have you seen Jersey Boys? And I said, no, they said, you are kind of perfect for it because the lead guy is supposed to be short, Italian looking, and I knew like it was opening up Broadway at the time and I'd seen the audition notices for it, but I had read, you know, Frankie Valley's got to sing really high. And I had never really had a venture into that area of my voice. So I, I kind of stayed away from it, but they said, no, 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 you've really got to go see it. And I, I got to tell you, I went to see it 
but I saw it. My eye, my eyes got huge, and I thought, "Oh my god, that is the show that I was physically built to be in." Because like leading men are usually like six foot tall and dashing, and you know, not any good looks. I'm a character guy. I'm five five and a half. I've always been put in that box. I was like, I, I gotta learn how to sing this stuff. So I I really worked on it. Had an audition for about over the course of two and a half, three years. Brought had brought it been brought in a few times. Um, and then the genius producers thought about creating this thing called Frankie Camp. Because a lot of this Broadway shows at the time, like the shows that really needed specialty um skills, uh, were creating like these little mini workshops that they would bring in people they thought were good for their productions, but didn't maybe quite have the skills polished to the point that they wanted to hire them. One of these shows was called Swing, actually. Um, it was That was a big dance show. People had to be proficient in this, the art of swing dancing. Okay. And I mentioned that one because my wife actually was, you know, one of probably one of the few dancers in New York City at the time who had done a bunch of ballroom and knew the swing style. But they, re- so she went to, they, they brought her in to do some workshops and eventually she got cast in the Broadway production. And so the producers of All Stripes were doing this, uh, Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk was doing this, Tap Dogs at the time was doing this. And so the Broadway producers created what was called Frankie Camp. Where they would bring guys who they thought were right for the role of Frankie, but really need to hone in on some of the vocals or some of the dance or whatever. And I was among the very first semester uh, and roster of guys brought into Frankie camp. And um, you know, out of the six or seven guys that auditioned that 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 were brought in on that first roster of Frankie camp, three of us that I four of us got cast in the first national tour and the second national tour. And they just kept rolling with that year after year. And they brought in a lot of guys from this Frankie camp. And then I, so I joined the, the, what was known as the second national tour. We opened in San Francisco for six months, took over for the first national tour that we had been sitting there for a year. And once they went on the road, we sat down in San Francisco for six months with the knowledge that we'd be moving here to Chicago, sort of open-ended. They didn't announce that at the time, but when we signed our contracts, they gave us the itinerary and they saw San Francisco for six months, then Chicago, uh, November 26, 2007. And then just said open-ended. And then we knew we'd be here for a while. And it ran two and a half years. Um, I was the dance captain of the show. In addition to being, uh, I had covered the role of Frankie Valley and Joe Pesci and two of the other guys in the ensemble. And as the, as the dance captain, I had to know all of the tracks in the show, not just the men, even all the women. And it's a big responsibility because you're sort of the eyes of the choreographer and keeping the show's choreographic integrity for, for in, in their stead because they're not with the show the entire time. Uh, so it was a big responsibility. Of course, covering the role of Frankie was a big responsibility as well. Um, and then the show closed 2010 and I did some Chicago theater. But in 2013, I got a phone call from this young lady who was getting married. And uh, she had said, oh, I got your name. Uh, I was thinking about having a, I wanted to have a Frankie Valley tribute at my wedding, just like, you know, with some track music, blah, blah, blah. And so we hung up the phone, we agreed on a price. And I said, yeah, I can get this together. I called three of my friends who I'd done other theater gigs in Chicago. None of them, none of the other guys did, had done Jersey Boy. Mm-hmm. And I said, great, we're going to do this one off, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not exaggerating when I say within two weeks time, I got three more phone calls wow. from different people asking for the same type of entertainment for their private events and i kept texting my buddy saying we got another date we got another date and they said wait we thought this was going to be a one-off and i said so did i so january one i put up a website it got some promotional stuff i mean it started rolling from there wow. and just year over year has really just snowballed now i've got that was four guys me and three others 
I wound up adding a couple of guys here and there because you know some guys were they're actors, they were getting other jobs, they needed to fill in the gaps. To date, I now have 18 guys on the roster. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be here nine years later. It, it, you know, I love ultimately the response that people have when we're up there performing. It's like to see the response from the people in the audience I and mean, they're reliving their childhoods or whatever you're growing up. And like, even when they saw Jersey boys, they'll say, they oh, I've got to practice so many great memories. And that we are able to continue that legacy and see that response. It's so, so cool. So it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. I know those are a long-winded answer, but like from this one little request and I'm still very good friends with that first client. And like, when, like they've got two, two young daughters now. And I, we, you know, of course we're friends on Facebook and you know, I always say, I'll, I can't thank you enough. Can never thank you enough. This is my life, you know? So it's great. I really enjoy it. That is amazing. That yeah. is amazing, John Michael. Wow. I'm yeah. <laughs> just and then of course, there. And of course, the show we're bringing to Fredonia is the holiday version of our show, which is about 65% of Frankie Valley music and then 45% of rock and roll holiday favorites from their contemporaries like the Drifters and the Eagles and um, uh, people like that. And Beach Boys is another one we do. So like, it's a really nice hybrid. And I thought, because about three or four years in, I was thinking, we're really busy in the summertime. We got to figure something out to be busy in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that was the first year we created, I created the holiday show. And every year now, November to December, we've got seven or eight on the books. And, you know, for eight weeks of the wintertime, that's enough. One a week is enough, you know? That's I mean, sure, twice as many would be nice too, but we'll take what we get, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. Just, just uh, so uh, uh, my audience gets a little idea of what what they're going to be hearing. Like, what are some of the numbers that you got going on for this Christmas show? Sure. So, you know, of course, we've got all the classic Frankie Valley hits: Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry, Walk Like a Man, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, My Eyes Adored You. And then what we do is we pepper in a lot of the holiday stuff that um, either they're familiar with or they may not be familiar with. So, like we in our regular show, uh, we do an acapella tune just to sort of give people an idea of what it was like in the mean streets of New Jersey. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, in the holiday show, we, and that, that acapella tune in our regular show is Sunday kind of love in our holiday show. We sort of, you know, ask them to suspend their disbelief and imagine what it might've been like if a young Miss um, Mariah Carey had launched her big holiday hit back when the seasons were popular. Maybe this is how they would put their spin on it. And we do a do-off version of, all I want for Christmas is you. So wow. that's like, yeah, yeah. So we, so we put that in there. Uh, we've got a great little medley that we call uh, our East Coast versus West Coast medley, which is uh, the, the season's version of Santa Claus is coming to town. And that goes into Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys. And then we do, uh, I don't want to give them all away, but so it's neat. It's, uh, it, it's fun. And we're looking forward to be, we've never been upstate New York before with the show at all. So I'm, uh, I'm glad that Jefferson's bringing us up to Fredonia. Well, I think you'll still be able to get in by the time your show comes. I'll have the snow cleared away that just fell this last weekend. So uh, you let me be... tell you something. It worries me on the daily because, you know, <laughs> I heard that they closed the airport. and like, we have to get in and we have to go to Buffalo and then drive still about 45 minutes to Fredonia. So I, every day I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to think about what it's going to be like. I mean, yes, they could, they could clear the roads. But what happens if it happens again? What do yeah, we do? no, no. We're, you're good, John Michael. They could take, right. They'll take care of you. Good, good. I, I'm taking I, your word on it, Tom.
I, I got to ask you this question because, you know, there's a generation gap here. I mean, you yeah. know, I, you've probably figured out by now that I grew up with Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons and everything. Every, all the music that you're playing is the music that, of course, that I grew up with. How, right. how do you how do you personally look at that generational gap as a young person looking at their music? But but, you know, being your age. Yeah, I mean, and and you keep referencing my age, the little secret i just turned 49 last week so i I mean even though there's still a diversal gap i get that um but you know i'm i'm sort of an old soul and i grew up with this music as well i mean my my mom and her brother my mom is is more of a classic you know classically trained singer and and she but she enjoys this music but her brother um loved doo-wop and sort of instilled the love of it with me and my my brother i have a twin brother who's also not not performing arts professionally anymore but does sing and does perform and at the time when we were younger my uncle would teach us like here let's learn these harmonies and we would sing doo-wop with my uncle just like little family functions and stuff so i did sort of grow up around it and i've always loved it and like there's very few artists today that i kind of feel they have the same musical talent that's not to say they all don't but like there's a few that like bruno mars i think is wildly talented and like you tell he's got a voice and like the, he's got his own thing going on and he's got silk sonic where he does the little throwback thing and he but like all this stuff it's rooted in this traditional like r&b sound but it's got melody to it it's got lyrics that you can actually understand and have a story to like that's those are the artists of today that i really sort of gravitate towards and who i think will have the longevity of people like the four seasons and the beatles and the beach boys where people are to listen to their music because it's sort of relatable and it's just it's just good sounding music like he's just he's an exception to the rule it, mm-hmm. it, it, with, with with the music that's being made today like he he just has ability and i feel as though he puts a little bit more craft behind making the art than rather just going to a studio and sampling a bunch of things having 45 producers on it and trying to make something rather than like i feel like he's got an idea that he builds on and it it it's it becomes something that's worth listening to and it's going to stand the test of time he seems to be rooted in a different place in time Yes, yes, that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, he's he's definitely an old soul, um, and I feel like he he gets the artists, and he's standing on the shoulders of those artists, and he's wants to continue their legacy, just like I'm doing with my group. Not not as not as successfully, of course, not as <laughs> as, as as worldwide. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I think the you know there there's I think I just I just feel as though that um, you know there's a little glimmer of hope in the music business when you see artists like him that are doing it and doing it so well, um, you know, that people like my son are going to be able to actually enjoy music that this music in the same way for the same reasons that people of your generation enjoyed of the music of Frankie Valley four seasons. Well, that's great. And I think that's a, that's it. Excellent note to sort of, you know, bring this conversation to a, a, a conclusion because, you know, I really enjoyed his music when I was young. I knew all the words and I probably could still sing it for you, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Many do. I mean, we, we always encourage people in the audience to sing along with us. I mean, we see those mouths moving. Even in the regular show, the non-holiday show, we do this medley that uh, it's, it's, it's to display how some of this Four Seasons songs that people may know and love didn't pass number 10 on the Billboard charts. 
And people are singing along even to those. They may not have been as popular, but they still know them all. Yeah. And, and we say, we conclude the medley by saying, see, you guys knew all those songs. It's amazing they didn't turn any higher, but it's that quintessential sound that you, you know and love. It's, yeah. it's, it's really hard to forget that, that falsetto voice he had. It's just impossible. Oh, absolutely. And, and just like a lot of people, when they saw Jersey Boys, when I saw the show, you hear hit after hit and you go, oh my God, I didn't know that was their song. Like, working my way back to you. Mm-hmm. I grew up hearing the spinners sing it. I didn't know that, know that it was a cover of the Frankie Valley Four Seasons. And I saw the show, I went, oh my God, he sang this first? And I think he had, the, I think their version is, I mean, the spinners were fine, but I mm-hmm. mean, when you hear the, you know, the little like extra bridge that they added, it's like, it was very much iconic for the disco era when they redid it, you know? Right. But God, I mean, it, it's, it really, I was smacking my head the whole time. Go, I can't believe they did this one too. I can't believe this one too. And then can't take my son of you. Like, of course I had to heard the song, I didn't realize that he sang it first. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the history behind that song. Um, in fact, the history we tell in the concert, which is not really displayed in Jersey Boys, is that Bob Gaudio was actually was working on three different songs at wow. the time, and they weren't working independently. So he took one section from each of those songs and made a new song out of it. And that's what we know is Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Oh, so wow. The, the verses, there's one song, the horn section before the chorus, that was a second section section of a different song. And then the chorus, I love you, baby, was a totally third song. And he put them all together. Now, that's something I did not know. And and boy, I'm glad I got you to the interview. I could learn that because, you know, it always it always sounded like three different songs, but I didn't know it was three different songs. (laughs) People people will hear that nugget and and more when they come see the show. (laughs) Okay, great. John Michael Coppola, thank you very much for coming. If the energy you've displayed in your interview is anything like the energy you have in your show, I guarantee you, man, people who are going to go out are going to have a great, great, great time. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John Michael. Appreciate it. Season's Greetings, the hits of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, will be presented on Thursday, December 8th at 7.30 p.m. in King Concert Hall at the Rockefeller Arts Center. Tickets are $20 to $35 for the general public and $5 to $20 for students. Fredonia Jazz Flex Tet and the Fredonia Jazz Society will be bringing their artistic gifts to the Dunkirk Fredonia area in the next few days. I caught up with the director of both groups, Dr. Nick Weiser, to get the skinny on these two jazz concerts. So joining me now is Dr. Nick Weiser. Dr. Nick Weiser is uh, the guy who runs all things jazz over at uh, SUNY uh, Fredonia and in town. If if the word has jazz in it, Nick's probably associated with it. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Uh, great, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on again. Yeah, you bet. Um, 
So you've got a couple of events, and I'm going to touch on them both. Um, I know one is coming up very quickly. This podcast is going to come out on November 30th, and then the following night, December 1st, uh, you've got something going on at the college to begin with. I believe it's the Fredonia Jazz Flex Tet. So tell us about that. That's right. For most folks, uh, the, the idea of a Flex Tet is probably one they've never heard before. And... Um, Unless you've been following our jazz program over at the college very closely, uh, you, you probably wouldn't have heard about this group. It's something that I actually formed during the pandemic. And at that time, when we started uh, meeting in person again, there were strict restrictions on the number of students we could have in any room at a given time. And I think the school had capped, they had capped the, the number of, of folks who could be in any one room to 12. And I got to thinking, well, I'd love to be able to make, um, I'd love to be able to continue making um, ensemble music. You know, I, I, I typically run two large jazz ensembles over there, um, both of which I created when I got here, the Fredonia Jazz Orchestra and something I was calling the Fredonia New Jazz Ensemble. And that was a group that focused on performances of works by female composers, uh, composers of color, and otherwise underrepresented composers, a bent toward music that had been written in the past 30 or 40 years, mostly by living musicians. And I thought, well, I'd like to be able to continue that mission, but how can I do it with a cap of only 12 musicians? And so I thought, what if I didn't fix the size of the group and the instrumentation of the group um, to, to say a small group or a full jazz ensemble because we obviously couldn't offer the latter. I said, well, what if we, what if we did things that were sort of a floating in terms of the number of musicians and the instrumentation that we could use? And that's how I developed something that I thought to call the flex tet. In that, the instrumentation is changing, the number of, uh, of musicians in any given piece is going to be variable. And we were able to, um, to find a niche collection of jazz ensemble arrangements and compositions that that um, used instrumentations of anywhere between seven to twelve players huh. and um, and so that's the ensemble that's going to be performing on Thursday night the impetus initially um, for this or one one place I, I drew drew on for some ideas about programming was uh, an ensemble that Wynton Marsalis formed at, uh, as part of his work with, uh, with Jazz at Lincoln Center. And uh, he used a septet to record an album just several years ago called The Democracy Suite. Oh, and I've heard of that, yeah. A number of current, um, current societal events and, uh, and sort of speaking to our climate in a way that, uh, that Winton often does in his music and, uh, and his writing. And, uh, and so we programmed in our, in, in our inaugural concert, which would have been, I guess, a year ago um, in the fall of 2021, we programmed several pieces from the Democracy Suite, um, among, other, among other works. And uh, I submitted those recordings to Downbeat Magazine. Downbeat Magazine, of course, is one of the longest running and best respected jazz periodicals in the world. I submitted the uh, recordings from that first concert to Downbeat Magazine for consideration in their Student Music Awards. It's an annual, blindly judged international competition among uh, jazz ensembles all over the world, collegiate and um, and high school um, jazz ensembles all over the world. And uh, that group actually received 
a Downbeat Award for Outstanding Performance by an Undergraduate Large Jazz Ensemble. Excellent. Excellent. So that's, that's a taste of what you're getting. It's an award-winning group, a really fantastic group. It's a life kind of group because there are fewer musicians. It's a bit more like steering... Um, steering a speedboat where a, a large jazz ensemble might be more like trying to turn a cruise ship. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I really enjoy working with this group and, uh, and we have some really exciting things to offer um, on Thursday's concert, including at least one or two other selections from the Democracy Suite. Ah, nice. That's wonderful. Um, so, uh, I, do you... I know this, this is going to sound like a stupid question, but do you actually like move the uh, musicians in and out during the course of the evening as we watch the flex tet sort of flex? Yeah. So uh, not a stupid question at all. Uh, great question. Uh, we'll change the physical stage setup a little bit um, on a couple of the smaller group numbers, things for sextet or septet. I'll actually have the group lead themselves they'll they'll count themselves off they'll be standing as opposed to seated like you might see in a traditional jazz ensemble mm -hmm. um, so that it has almost more of a combo uh, feel um, but we'll yeah we'll we'll draw on any number of musicians for any of the different pieces that we're working on and again i'm drawing from kind of a wide latitude of musics and backgrounds um, couple of the pieces that, that, that have sort of the largest instrumentation, and they may have, at this point, maybe 13 musicians, but a couple of those pieces are from a really prolific a contemporary composer of Argentinian tango music, a man by the name of Pedro Giraudo, mm -hmm. and we'll be doing a couple of pieces from one of his later releases um, that are truly in a tango style with kind of an unusual... Um, an unusual instrumentation and, and, and obviously a bent toward that, um, toward that music. So um, we have a couple of exciting things, but yeah, you'll see, you'll see a few couple of other people will wander onto stage. Somebody will wander off stage or sit at the back of the stage and a few of the musicians will stand up and kind of walk over toward the rhythm section. So it really is, um, there's an informality um, about it in a way that you might not see in say a, a full jazz orchestra setup but right. it's, it's it's a great window into that um that particular niche and again you don't i think when you think about jazz music you're either thinking about large ensembles 17 18 plus musicians kind of a traditional think duke ellington count basie stan kenton type orchestra or you're thinking about a small group like a quartet or a quintet rhythm section piano bass drums and maybe a horn or two but um, but very often or um, very infrequently do you find people familiar with that that little big band window of, of repertoire that kind of kind of exists between those two instrumentations and sizes. That sounds like a wonderful evening. That's great, and uh, I know it's going to be at the Rosh Recital Hall at eight o'clock on December first. Is that correct? That's right. All right, we got that. I I hope enough people listen to this uh, the day it comes out so that they make sure they can get to your. Your concert, but but we do want to talk about a second one you've got coming up, and this is with the Fredonia Jazz Society, another one of the uh, innumer innumerable things that you're involved with. Um, and it's coming up on December the 8th, and it's going to be holiday-themed. So why don't you give us a little highlight about that one? 
Well, I've always been a sucker for holiday music. I think, um, you know, the nostalgia of all of these timeless classic holiday and Christmas tunes, um, there, there's just, there's a real magic in that. And for me, I've long, in, in, in terms of my musical bent and the kind of uh, writing and arranging that I've done over the years, um, rather than, than craft original compositions, because that's not something that I feel is really a strength of mine, I prefer to take known music and to put some sort of fresh spin or a new stamp on it so that you can kind of preserve that nostalgic element, that familiarity, but you can do something, you can take it into a place that maybe people haven't heard before, a place that, um, that nobody's thought to look for this particular tune. And, and so in the groups that I've, that I've participated, my, my small groups, the trio that I started called 13 Degrees, which was based in Ithaca, New York, when I was working there, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then this Jazz Faculty Collective, which is a group that I started at the college when I got there in an effort to kind of preserve that, that same kind of feeling. I've brought a lot of original arrangements to known music. I've, I've worked on things by uh, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Wonder, The Beatles, and, and so on. A lot of known, um, known stuff from the past 30, 40, 50 years. Because if you look at and you give some, some thought to the history of jazz as, as a style, as a genre, as an art form, it's always drawn on the popular music of the time. So we think about classic jazz, well, a lot of that's coming from American popular music of the first half of the 20th century. So I'm looking at stuff from the, first, or from the second half of the 20th century um, as I craft my repertoire and looking at, at, at ways of taking some of those newer timeless um, pieces and, and injecting them into the jazz canon. But for this particular project, um, all of us in the, the Faculty Jazz Collective, and that's comprised by myself on piano, Elliot Scazzaro, who's a Buffalo-based adjunct professor that we have in the, in the jazz area. Kieran Hanlon on bass, um, teaches bass and, and, uh, and, and jazz uh, in our program. And then John Bacon on the drums, again, Buffalo-based, um, kind of a regional top call musician. Each of us is bringing uh, new works and arrangements to, um, to this particular concert that's going to be hosted by the Fredonia Jazz Society at Domus Fair. And um, I think we found some really interesting twists and turns in a lot of familiar uh, Christmas and holiday classics. Um, and so I think, I think folks will, will be taken on a, on a journey for sure into some, some new and unfamiliar territory for some of these uh, really well-known Christmas classics. The other thing that's great about working with really well-known material is that you can you can make briefer allusions to it and still preserve its essence and you kind of take it a little farther afield because as long as you have kind of the core um, melodic bits of the tune um, I think I think these tunes they allow for a wider latitude of treatments and uh, and kind of more exploratory uh, treatments. Not to say we're discarding anything that's going to ruin the tune for anybody, but um, but to say that I think we've really put some creative and um, and fresh spins on some of these these familiar tunes.
Well, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit because you haven't named any of them. So do you want to do you want to keep that as a surprise or do you want to give us maybe one or two that we can we can sort of tempt us a little bit? I've found uh, particular hymn settings and things that I that I really enjoy uh, working with. One of them is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh-huh. The Advent song that most yeah. people have the Advent hymn. Yes. Yeah, Advent Hymn of Expectation uh, gets used a lot this time of year, and um, I've created uh, an arrangement of that uh, of that tune that I think is very unusual. It almost um, it almost hints back at uh, at the plain chant tradition. You kind of get a floating melody with these big, lush pads and chords underneath it, creating all of this texture. And the drums are going to be playing in a way that's sort of free and textural um, but the melody will always kind of float over the top of the of the arrangement and um, and the harmonies have have kind of darker um, sort of a darker initial connotation but then they really open up it's almost like the sky is opening up above you you can really feel um, that sensation when you listen to this particular progression and the, the way that the the hymn tune is being harmonized, and uh, and we'll probably throw in some upbeat um, classics, things like "Deck the Halls," and um, but with a, a wildly different spin, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you one final question. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what is your all-time favorite Christmas album? Oh, fantastic question, <laughs> um, and. Um, and an easy one for me. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's it's James Taylor's Christmas album. Uh, for me, there's something about, and I'm a I'm a huge sucker for James Taylor to begin with. But I think that all of the arrangements on that album are just so beautifully conceived. There are also a couple of interesting tunes on there that you don't typically hear. Um, uh, Some children see him from that record is a really incredible. Um, sort of unifying uh, Christmas tune that, that nobody ever hears outside of that record. And, uh, and so I think it's just very tastefully done. And, um, and I love, love James Taylor's uh, take on, on those, those classics. Um, one of the tunes from that record, which is actually a Joni Mitchell tune originally, River, mm -hmm. may make its way into one or the other of our sets on, uh, on our Fredonia Jazz Society concert. Okay, that's great. Nick Weiser, it's always a joy to talk to you because I enjoy jazz music very much and you're very literate and you're a great musician. And I know that you've been bringing jazz to a different level here uh, in and around Fredonia, both at the college and, in, and uh, in town. So thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. And I encourage everyone to go out because they're going to hear something that they will uh, probably not be able to hear in any other venue. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much again for having me on, Tom. It's always great to visit with you. And we'll catch you in the springtime because you got more coming up. So we'll catch you then. Excellent. It's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. Putting up reindeer, singing songs of joy and peace I wish I had a river I could skate away on 
You'll have to be quick to catch the Fredonia Jazz Flextet on Thursday, December 1st at 8 p.m. in the Roush Recital Hall. Tickets are free. The Fredonia Jazz Society at Domus Fair in Fredonia will feature the Nick Weiser Quartet on Thursday, December 8th with two sets, one at 5.30 p.m. and the second set at 8 p.m. Tickets are $25 at the door while they remain. Here's the arts calendar for the month of December. On Saturday, December 3rd, the Opera House will present the movie The Grinch from the famous Dr. Seuss story. Benedict Cumberbatch voices the Grinch as he plots to steal Christmas from the Who's in Whoville. The animated film will screen at 4 p.m. Admission is free. This event is in conjunction with Fredonia Festival's Miracle on Main Street celebration. The Hours, a new opera by Kevin Putz and Greg Pierce, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Richard Cunningham, and featuring the talents of Renee Fleming, Kelly O'Hara, and Joyce DiDonato, will be presented on Saturday, December 10th at 1 p.m. as part of the Live at the Met series. Tickets are $20 for the general public, $18 for members, and $10 for students. Get your tickets online at www.fredopera.org or by calling the box office at 716-679-1891. You can get more information on this premiere performance by listening to last week's podcast interview with Miss Julie Newell of the School of Music Voice faculty. The Department of Theater and Dance presents Radium Girls from Thursday through Sunday, December 1 through 4. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evening performances are at 7.30 p.m., and the Saturday and Sunday matinees begin at 2 p.m. in the Bartlett Theater. Tickets are $20 in advance, $25 at the door for the general public, and $5 in advance, $10 at the door for students. You can get your tickets online at www.fredonia.edu backslash tickets, or by calling the box office at 716-673-3501. You can listen to last week's podcast interview with director Dan Lenzian and designer Zertan Lim for more information. Ecstasis 2.0 student recitals will present their second set of early evening free recitals on Thursday, December 8th at 5.30 p.m. at the Opera House. Curated by the Ecstasis duo of Eleron Avni and Natasha Farney of the School of Music, the recitals feature the talents of student musicians from the Fredonia School of Music. The Lakeshore Center for the Arts in Westfield will be presenting Harvest Moon, written and directed by Executive Director Rick Mascaro, bringing some of Westfield's past citizens to visit for an evening reminiscing about the history of Westfield. The third edition of this multifaceted production has lights, music, poetry, actors, projections on screen that entertain on all levels. Harvest Moon will be presented on December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd at 7 p.m., and a matinee on December 3rd at 2 p.m. in the Jacqueline Phillips Theater at the Lakeshore Center for the Arts in Westfield. Tickets are $20 and can be purchased online at lakeshorecenterforthearts.com. 
The Department of Visual Arts and New Media will present their Senior Art and Design Show from Friday, December 2nd through Sunday, December 11th at the Marion Art Gallery. The Merrin's BFA Dance Senior Projects will be performed on Friday, December 2nd, beginning at 7.30 p.m. in the Merrin's Dance Studio at the Rockefeller Arts Center. Admission is free, but tickets are required due to limited seating. The Kaleidoscope Series will present North Pole Nonsense with Cirque-tacular on Friday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. in the King Concert Hall. This children's Christmas show features aerial, dance, and ground acrobatics in the good old-fashioned Christmas spirit. All tickets are $16. And finally, the Fredonia Holiday Choral Concert, featuring the Fredonia Camerata, College Choir, and Chamber Choir, will take place on Saturday, December 3rd at 8 p.m. in the King Concert Hall. The performance features music of the season that will be broadcast on WNED later in December. Admission is free. Wear your finest holiday outfits. The Main Street Studios in Fredonia is presenting its holiday offering, the Mince Pie of Doom, in the coming weeks. It's not quite as threatening as the title indicates as I discovered while talking to the director, Gavin Card, and El Nunzio, who plays Ruby Tuesday. It's always great to head down to Main Street Studios and find out what's going on there. And of course, they have a Christmas special that they're running called the Mince Pie of Doom. It, I don't know, kind of, sounds kind of like a, a mashup of, uh, I don't know, Christmas and Halloween there. But uh, uh, nonetheless, we have uh, two of the participants. We have the director, Mr. Gavin Card. Hello, Gavin. Hello, Tom. And uh, we also have the uh, young lady who is playing Ruby Tuesday, El Nunzio. Hello, El. Hello. So uh, let me start with uh, Gavin. Uh, I was talking to Gavin earlier before we actually went uh, to record. And the uh, first thing I said to him was, there's not a lot of information out there about this title <laughs> called The Mince Pie of Doom. And it, it, of course, it's a very intriguing title. So Gavin, you better start by giving us all the background. Right. Okay. So um, The Mince Pie of Doom is a play written by uh, Richard Walter and Simon Baker. It was written in the UK by the pair. And then I first met Richard when he came over uh, to the United States and put on the production at a theater in Jamestown called the Spire Theater, um, where I filled in as the role of Auntie Freeze, the villainess of the production. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. I was wearing a dress and a, a blue shiny Brilliant. wig, so on and so forth. Yes. Um, but it hasn't been done very often. He's a very small playwright. Um, local. He, I believe he lives in Erie now, uh, but he used to live in Jamestown as well. So I believe I was part of the first production in the United States, and I believe this is the second production in the United States. Uh, but it has been put on in the UK a couple of times, I believe. Cool. Okay, so give us a give us a uh, a plot summary. There's there's a whole number of cast people, and I'll get to Ellen just a minute. But sort of give us a plot summary of what happens in this production. So the Mince Pie of Doom is about Father Christmas's old flame, Auntie Freeze, attempting to 
take over and end Christmas as revenge for something that uh, you will have to come to the show to find out. Uh, but along <laughs> the way, uh, he is nowhere to be found. The sleigh gets stolen and Ruby Tuesday, who is Father Christmas's daughter, adopted. goes on this adopted. Yes, thank you. Adopted daughter goes on this <laughs> adventure uh, with her friends, a couple of toys from the Santa's workshop and a detective and his assistant. Uh, they go on an adventure to try to find the real Father Christmas mm -hmm. and along the way meet a lot of wacky characters. Uh, okay, uh, so El, you are playing Ruby Tuesday and uh, the adopted daughter of uh, uh, Santa Claus, is that correct? Yes, it is. And how's it going so far? I think it's going pretty well. Um, I, I think uh, something that I, a, a challenge I should say that I've faced with Ruby that I haven't quite faced with other characters in the past is my arms getting quite sore because for the entire duration of the show, I do not bend my arms. Huh? I, wow. I hold them at a 90 degree angle the entire show. Uh, are you some kind of toy? I, I am a doll. There's there's actually quite a few bits where we refer to the fact that I am plastic. Oh, okay. So you're a plastic doll who can't I, yes. move her arms. Yeah, she's getting them for Christmas. She hasn't quite gotten them yet. She just oh. got her knees. She got her legs, I hope, yes? Oh, yes. She got okay. her knees last Christmas, but okay. all she's missing is her elbows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We're almost there. We're, we're almost there. Now, explain, can anybody, either one of you, I don't care, explain to me why, how the mince pie fits in? Ah, okay, so. Or is this, or is this what I'm not supposed to know, Gavin? You can know part of this, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. The, mince, the mince pie of doom, dun, 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 is a patisserie that Auntie Freeze bakes uh and it is her instrument of destruction okay for father christmas and the crew ah. um i can't tell you what it does but okay. it is what she uses to uh threaten the uh the the good people yes of of, of christmas land, christmas land of, of toy Tonawanda. town yeah um, <laughs> Okay, that's that's fine. Um, so El, give us give us an idea. Like, what's one of the scenarios that you go through? I mean, can you give us sort of like a a little a little a synopsis of a small scene so we get an idea of what happens? Um. So, do you mean in terms of Ruby or the whole show? Well, in terms of Ruby first, you know. Um, so I think one that encapsulates uh, uh, maybe both of those things, just the whole journey and Ruby, is uh, I, I, there's this one scene that we have in um, customs of an airport where they are checking Ruby's bags. And um, so she's a doll. So she has a lot of spare parts in her in her bag and they are um, checking her bag and they say, hey, there's a false bottom in here. And Ruby gets very embarrassed. <laughs> um and and wants to um, make a complaint about customs because she feels she's been humiliated, even though maybe they haven't found what they what she thinks they have found. Um, but yeah, we go to a lot of different historical places. We go to the Eiffel Tower. We go to um, oh goodness, where do we go? I don't think we go anywhere specific in Germany, but we go all over oh, yeah. the all over the world trying to find Father Christmas. And there's a lot of flying on. Well, we don't have the reindeer, so I think we have. What do we use? The private the jet. Private jet. The yes, private we jet, yes, we use the private jet because the reindeer are indisposed. 
it sounds like it's it sounds like a trip it sounds like a fun trip <laughs> absolutely <laughs> oh wow absolutely uh who are some of your cast members that you're working with uh so we're working with sean adeletta is playing uh Dougal in a box brilliant he's not a jack in a box he's a Dougal in a box a do a Dougal. Uh, Dougal in a box it's yes. a scottish name yeah uh oh. so he 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 gets to play around in a rather large acting block that we have modified to look like a a a, a jack-in-the-box adjacent yes for Dougal in a box um, for Dougal in a box uh we okay. are also working with uh matt baum is playing father christmas and, and all, all of, of the other santas counterparts right okay um jamie irvin is making her debut? main street studios yes, debut. debut yes as merry christmas merry father christmas. christmas's wife <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and her her daughter is actually playing uh, Fred Bear, who is another toy, uh, not quite not quite all there in the head. Um, <laughs> but she sure is cute. the character, not 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 Katie, not Katie uh, Jamie's great. daughter. She's Katie's fantastic. Yes. Other than yeah. that, I believe yeah, Tom Sullivan Jr. is making another return. He usually yes. comes down for our uh, for our Christmas shows. Good. Um, he's coming in as the narrator, as Herod. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and I I did manage to uh, pull up uh, in my research a little Instagram um, uh, poster I believe of the cast um, and Holly Noel is that correct Is that Zach Lydic? Yes, yes. And and I understand he's a detective. Is that correct? Is he the one who is sort of trying to figure out what the what the situation is? Correct. Holly Noel is the detective who uh, does not quite enjoy Christmas. Despite his name. Despite his name. Mm -hmm. um, and he is the one who they, the Christmas crew comes to uh, to try to find the sleigh right. and find Father Christmas. <laughs> um, which Father Christmas is, is, is gone not because he's been kidnapped or anything, uh, but because it is what they call his Grotty Grotto Week. Uh, they call the the places where the Santa Clauses go to uh, have children come and see them uh, a grotto, and Santa Claus goes out every year uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas to go and pretend to be a department store Santa so that he can meet some of the children that he's going to be making happy on Christmas. Uh, so of course, the week that he's gone is the week the sleigh disappears. Because of course. And he could be anywhere in the world. So that is Holly's impossible task, is trying to find Father Christmas literally anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, now, Gavin, this is the second time you've directed this, correct? And you said you, there was a production in Jamestown a number of years ago. I did not direct the first time. I just stepped in as uh, Auntie Freeze, the villainess. Uh, the, the director for that production was actually uh, Richard Walter, one of the writers. What what was the uh, what do you find most attractive about the play? Its theme or anything like that? It's just a whole load of fun. Uh, mm -hmm. It never stops. It's very high energy. There's never a moment where anyone is at rest. Uh, in, <laughs> in particular, there's there's a scene in the second act, I believe. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes. Um, where they're all running around. This they they never stop going in a circle. Yeah. Um, exiting entering all over the place and i love that chaos um and i love the 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 particular feel about christmas that the magic that brings everyone together mm -hmm. um, i want to bring that energy and that excitement and that togetherness to life on stage with this wacky crew of people 
And and L for you, what's what's the most attractive thing and most fun thing about doing this this role? Um, I love that Ruby kind of presents a certain way, but has she has a lot of um twists and turns, um characterization wise. I won't go too deep into that because I don't want to give any spoilers, oh, but. Yeah. Um, for anyone who has seen The Good Place um, by any chance, I very much am approaching this like Janet, who is kind of like the assistant, uh, kind of like very cheerful, very like always happy, like very much channeling her and also like a Barbie doll, like really nothing can get her down. Uh -huh. um, even when they have kind of repeatedly like failed to find Santa and they're really trying to find him. She's like, this is great. Like, it's just <laughs> it's very it's very fun. Yeah, that sounds. It's always it's always nice to have a role that's just a flat out flat out pure fun, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. It always is. Well, it, it really sounds, you know, a very very unique and different kind of holiday experience. I would say. Would you agree with that, Gavin? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's for the kids and for um, adults. It's for the kids and for the adults. Yes. In a classy it's, way. Yes, in a classy, in a very way. classy, in a classy way. way. We've modified it so that it's even more classy. Um, <laughs> yes, we, we've changed some of the jokes uh, just so that they hit better with an American audience because it is written in a in a British style. Yes, okay. that's a flying um, that we didn't quite get. Yes, I had first. to explain quite a bit of that. Uh, some name drops we had to switch. Correct. Right. So you've Americanized it is what you're saying, really. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, that's good. I I think that that's good. It, it really sounds, you know, for all of the things that everybody does on Christmas and the holiday season and trying to find new and varied and interesting stuff, this sounds really to me like one of the most interesting things I've heard in a long, long time <laughs> as far as as far as a holiday production is 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 concerned. I mean, I remember when I first read the title the mince pie of doom i went dun, dun, dun. yeah <laughs> <laughs> sort of like an agatha christie christmas special <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right? well listen i wish you both uh, an awful lot of luck with this show uh and i know it's going to be opening on december 16th and playing all the way up until the 23rd uh and i'll get all the information out to people so you know we'll, we'll they'll know what time it is and uh one thing i always make sure to know is that it's uh, tickets are only at the door one hour before the show, cash sale only. So that's an important thing right. to get in. Actually, um, I think we do take credit this year. Yes, we are we doing do. cash and credit. Oh, are you? Good. Okay. Yes. Good. That's glad. Thank you for correcting me, L. I appreciate it. All right. Listen, thank you very much, both of you, for your time. I, I appreciate that as always. And I, I certainly wish you the best of luck with the show. It sounds like it's going to be just uh, a delightful time in the theater. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Thank, thank you for having you. us. You're welcome. The Mince Pie of Doom will be presented at the Main Street Studios, 50 West Main Street in Fredonia, on December 16th, 17th, and 23rd at 7 p.m., and on December 17th and 23rd at 2 p.m. Tickets are $15 for the general public and $10 for students available at the door one hour before performance, cash or credit accepted.
And that's it for this holiday edition of Notes from the Isle Seat. My thanks to John Michael Coppola, Dr. Nick Weiser, Gavin Card, and El Nunzio for being my guests on this episode. Notes from the Isle Seat is a production of the 1891 Fredonia Opera House in Fredonia, New York. For more information on any of the Opera House's events, call the box office at 716-679-1891, visit the website at www.fredopera.org, or email at operahouse at fredopera.org. Notes from the Isle Seat is available wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and also on the Opera House YouTube channel. If you like this podcast, please consider following us by clicking the follow button on our website at isleseat.podbean.com and spreading the word through your social media feeds. If you have an arts event you'd like featured on the podcast, why don't you drop us a line at operahouse at fredopera.org and we'll see about featuring your event. Please try to give us a month's advance notice if possible to facilitate timely scheduling. If you have any suggestions, comments, or criticisms of the podcast, just drop us a line at operahouse at fredopera.org. We'll be glad to receive your feedback. Our next episode will be a special Holiday Stories presentation on December 21st, 2022. I'm Tom Lachlan, and until then, be safe out there, and be kind to one another.